That was Cry and Shame by Johnny Diesel and the Injectors. Here on 106.9 Tune FM, welcome to a very special episode of Anthology Season 2, Volume 6. I'm here with Ben, as is the usual for these special Christmas holiday episodes. Welcome all. Uh, yes, once again, I've been promoted to main guest as opposed to just coming in to do my movie review. I quite It's a happy occasion for me, so let's get into two hours of wonderful theatre and movie news. Hell yeah. What if... I hope you're having a very Merry Christmas, though, Ben. I hope I'm not ruining you. No, 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 it's fine. Um, realistically, uh, Christmas Eve is always an exciting time for me. I'm a huge fan of Christmas. Not so much Christmas movies, but love Christmas. So I'll be heading down uh, tomorrow to back to my hometown to spend the remaining time of Christmas Day because, obviously, the train will get in at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, but it will be a wonderful few hours to spend with family, and it means that I can still be here on this wonderful Christmas Eve to bring uh, help you bring anthology to our wonderful listeners all across uh, Australia and the world here on the home of Student Powered Radio itself. Yeah, that was a really good spruik. Thank you. You're welcome. There we go. Solid first minute of this exactly. episode. Here we go. Well, as I've mentioned, today is going to be a bit of a special episode because we're announcing the winners of all four of our 2019 Anth Awards. Uh, just to review the categories for that are Best Original Production, Best UNE Production, Best Play, and Best Musical. We do have... Now, it was pretty exciting. We had a voting process. Now, um, the way that the voting process worked, if you did uh, vote and you're wondering, as you will remember, you numbered your preferences one to three, and essentially it works the same way as, or basically the same way, in a much more simple sense, as any sort of uh, political election that we have. So, Except no one spent $60 million to rig it for one particular nomination. Yes, Ben, but that's another issue entirely. Oh, um, there's my topical humour for the episode. So your vote went to uh, your number one vote, obviously. Um, a, we, we decided that a... Uh, a particular nominee needed a 50% or, ma- or more majority or more than 50% majority to win if there was, and this was the case in two of our categories. So there were some very close categories. Um, if if none of the um, nominees received more than a 50% majority, the last placed nominees votes were taken out and their votes were given to their number two preference. So there's a little explanation for everyone who has not understood how preferential voting works. That's it in a nutshell. Yep. And obviously I, I know you'd have the same feelings. Just want to give a huge thank you to everybody that did vote um, because we certainly got more votes than I was intending. Um, we yeah. got more votes than I thought we would. So thank you to everyone who took an interest and stay tuned to find out what the results were. Yeah, we're going to keep it nice and dramatic. We're not going to get into it straight away because no. first of all, it's very important that we talk about what's going on in the world of theatre, even though it is Christmas and uh, many of our theatre companies are taking a well-earned break. Um, I'm going to take a quick look down in Sydney, first of all, where the first thing that's come to uh, my attention is Curios, Cabinet of Curiosities, which is on at the Entertainment Quarter in Sydney and closes this weekend, the 29th of December. Uh, essentially, it is Cirque du Soleil. So mm. don't miss that because they're, they're pretty spectacular. Ben is about to sneeze. I'm just going to turn off his microphone. Now the urge is gone. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to turn off my mic. As soon as you turn off my mic, I apologize for that, listeners. I do apologize. No, you don't need to apologize. Next time, just sneeze straight into the microphone. <laughs> I will not be doing that, I promise. I will spare your eardrums. So, so yeah, um, Cirque du Soleil. Have you seen a Cirque du Soleil show before? I haven't had the pleasure. No, I, I have, haven't either. I've seen their stuff recorded before, though, and it's quite spectacular. So if you haven't gotten along to that yet, I would highly recommend 
Um, there is a video available on their website, which is cirquedusoleil.com. You might need to check the spelling because it is in French. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can follow the links to their Curios Cabinet of Curiosities show, which is on in Sydney at the moment. There is a video available on the website. Does it say what venue it's on at? Uh, I did mention that that's the it's at the Entertainment Quarter. Yeah, okay. In, so I just um, wanted, I thought I thought you were in. I just wanted to double check. Yeah, down in Moore Park near mm. uh, near the Sydney Cricket Ground. And then uh, Cirque Stratosphere. So there's plenty of circus going on in Sydney at the moment. Uh, that is on at the Sydney Opera House. Uh, now, it's a brand new circus show, actually, from the creators of Circus 1903 and The Illusionists. Uh, it features Olympic-level acrobats, and it will be in the largest venue at the Sydney Opera House, the Concert Hall. Mm. It opens today, as a matter of fact, and it runs until the 19th of January. Uh, so don't miss out on getting tickets for that. I would highly encourage everyone to go to that if they do have an interest in that particular type of performance. Um, I've only been to one uh, event in the Opera House, and I can say that for, well, for me it was a concert, but theatre as well, the acoustics in that venue are second to none. It is a spectacular show. I haven't had the pleasure. I'm planning on going to see a musical at the Sydney Opera House early next year, which we'll yes, talk a little bit about more about. I was about to say, that's a good segue for later on. We will, we will talk a little bit more about that musical uh, a bit later on, but I've never had the pleasure up until now of seeing a show at the Sydney Opera House, but mm. I have had a tour, and I will say that that it's wonderful. it's a wonderful venue. Granted, I saw an Evanescence concert, which is a very, which is I could rather different to a theatre production, but I, in essence, the acoustics would be rather similar. Yeah, well, it's 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 a very well designed um, venue mm. indeed. Um, let's move on down to Melbourne, where, as expected, there's not a whole lot going on because it is um, Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, of course. But um, one show that we have been mentioning in previous uh, volumes, uh, Kiss of the Spider Woman is coming to an end this weekend, the 28th of December. That's at, had a good run. At the, uh, at the South Bank Theatre. Mm. So that is uh, a musical uh, with the book by Terence McNally. It's from the team behind uh, the shows of Chicago and Cabaret in um, Melbourne. So it's, it's an excellent show. Um, you, I, I highly recommend that if you haven't seen it, get along. There's only a few shows to go. Mm. Uh, we played one of the songs... Uh, in an earlier episode, and it's spectacular. Um, yeah, absolutely some amazing agree. voices. Um, a little bit more theatre talk. Let's come up to Armadale, where we are continuing our countdown to Little Fish's production of Spring Awakening. We're down to 51 days. Oh, exciting. 51 days until Spring Awakening. Tickets are on sale, so don't. I know 51 days sounds like a lot. It probably doesn't. Armadale, don't do what you normally do and don't like just turn up and say, oh, I'll buy a ticket at the door. Buy a ticket now because it will sell out and the better, the earlier you buy a ticket, the better seat you'll get. So buy those tickets. Absolutely buy those tickets. 51 days probably sounds like a lot to you. I guarantee it doesn't sound like a lot to those who are involved. Absolutely not. Um, it's, it's, a, it's very sneaking up on us very quickly. So make sure you get those tickets because the, the last Little Fish show that we had the pleasure of having here in Armadale did sell out to the rafters. And so we, we can obviously give it our endorsement. I know Jake will be going to a show, and I would be going to a show where I'm not in the UK, but I would certainly attend if I could. So support it, um, support local theatre, and go along and catch a show because it is very unforgettable and not to be missed. Absolutely. I can highly recommend Little Fish's stuff. They always do an excellent job. Um, on to whatever else is going on in Armadale very shortly as well. And we're in the usual little December rut of mm. talking about the same shows every week because 
everyone's announced their calendar for next year, but say, it's still Christmas is Christmas and December is December. Yeah, it's still it's still months off. Uh, favorite shorts are still looking for submissions. So if you fancy yourself as a little bit of a short script writer and you've maybe got something up your sleeve that's fifteen minutes or less, or you think you could write something that's 15 minutes or less and you just want to put it out there in front of an audience. Absolutely. Um, It's a good opportunity. They take all comers. So um, submit that into them. You can find the contact details necessary for that at adms.org.au or through their Facebook page. And don't um, don't fret if you can't find any of the event calendars for next year. I struggled a lot to find them. That is just because I don't have 2020 vision. And that's the that's my joke for the ben, that's my joke for the week. Ben, you're meant to be the one I invite because you don't make the puns. Oh come on, give me one per there's, episode. There's no no bad bad okay, bad. But um, it is pretty exciting though. This is the second last episode of anthology for this decade. Absolutely, um, which will make the very first episode uh, on January eighth, I believe. Yes, January. January 7th, sorry, my mistake, January 7th. 7th yes, because the, we have an episode on New Year's Eve. Yes, we will. Uh, so we'll be in here from 7 to 9 as well next week for New Year's Eve, and then I'll duck off and catch some fireworks. So, um, yeah, <laughs> missing, we'll, missing the early fireworks just for you guys. Well, that's because the early fireworks don't mean anything. Oh. But that's me. No, I'm sorry. And I, I won't talk about that because I don't want to distract from the theatre topic, but that is something I feel very strongly about. 9, 9 p.m. fireworks are a waste of money. Anyways, continuing on. Continuing on, so yeah, once again, favourite shorts, they are looking for submissions of scripts. They will, uh, I imagine, in the very near future, be looking for interested directors as well. So keep your eye out for uh, any news from ADMS on that front. Uh, I can tell you that it is a very good platform if you're looking to build those skills and just uh, get some of your work out there in front of an audience, see how they respond to it, see uh, where you can improve or or where you, you're working really well and... and um, I, I wrote a script for Favourite Shorts last year that I've now taken home and been tweaking and revising ever since just because it seemed to go down very, very well. So mm. uh, it's an excellent platform for uh, if, you're, if you're the creative type. Give it a crack. And uh, the last thing for Armadale, not really Armadale, but Tamworth, and that's close enough. Yeah, um, it's only now down the road. So uh, She Kills Monsters, as we've uh, mentioned before, from the Tamworth Dramatic Society. Tickets are going on sale very soon for that as well. It'll be a very good uh, show, Tamworth Dramatic Society. Always putting on a great show. In fact, they've been nominated for an Anth Award as well, which... Um, mm-hmm. mm, yes, they have. I'll certainly be making the road trip down to Tamworth to catch She Kills Monsters. It sounds like it could be very entertaining. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to be able to catch it. Uh, it's a little bit hard to tell at this stage because March is a long, long way away. No, it is. That's a good point. And um, it, I, I don't know what's going to be going on in my life by that point. But um, No, nor do, nor, nor do any of us, I suppose. That being said, it's only an hour down the road, so I'll be endeavouring in every uh, every way I can to make sure I can at least make a, a trip down and back. Um, <laughs> Anthology road trip. Oh, yeah. We could broadcast from... From Tamworth, yeah, giving a live review of the... <laughs> yeah, that might not work out so well. Um, no, but obviously, um, if you do get a chance to support it, go ahead. It should be a good show, and it's fantastic to see people supporting live theatre in rural communities, especially communities that are currently potentially at high risk of getting set on fire. Oh, oof. Let's, let's keep it light, Ben. Oh, um. it'll be, oh, no, that's too easy a joke to make. Continue. <laughs> 
I told you you get one. Oh, fine. Fair enough. I used my one of the stupid 2020 joke. So um, speaking of Tamworth, though, I've got a couple more of their shows to mention that are coming up early in 2020. There's always plenty going on in Tamworth. You, uh, you, you kind of look at it and you think, you know, bigger than Armadale, but surely not. Not by much. Massive, yeah. Mm. Um, but they have some. They have plenty of wonderful things going on down there with their Capitol Theatre, and of course they've got Trek as well. Um, Philip Quast with Anne Marie McDonald on the twenty second of February, which will be a great show. HMS Pinafore is coming to mm. Tamworth on the fifth of March, and Grace Under Pressure on the seventh of March. Quick turnaround for the managers there at the theatre, but um, we believe in you. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be it's going to be an excellent season for Tamworth. They're mm. doing Mamma Mia as their musical. Um, plenty of. <laughs> Don't ugh. I'm sorry. I shouldn't. I shouldn't ugh, Mamma Mia, because I know it is very exciting because the rights have just come out. But I can tell it's going to be one that we'll be certainly hearing and seeing a lot of in the upcoming months. Well, we're already started to see it. I mean, Glenn Innes did it last month. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's been around. Well, we were up at the Gold Coast. I was trying to find theatre to go to, and there were two Sunshine Coast theatre companies doing it. Uh huh. Um, just at the time that we were up there. So, yeah. I, sh- it's I should specify as well, I love ABBA's music. This is not, my opinion of Mamma Mia is not a slide on ABBA's music whatsoever. I've been called out for this exact same thing on Anthology really? in, in the past. People I've, saying that, you're an, that, you do, that you don't like ABBA's music. Well, I, I can defend myself now because possibly one of my favourite musicals that I've ever been to is Muriel's Wedding, which yes. also features ABBA's music. Yes. So it's not, it's clearly not the music, guys. No, the music is terrific. ABBA's music is wonderful. The Musical, co- the content and the way the musical is written, however, is another story. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, but regardless, I apologise for <laughs> ugh-ing, uh Mamma Mia. My sincerest regardless, apologies. Uh, I'm sure they will be putting on an excellent production uh, of Mamma Mia. Tamworth, uh, they always do an excellent job. ADMS yeah. are doing that as well. As a side note, um, they will be putting that on the Hoskins in July next year. So hopefully, um, that will be an excellent show as well, and we can um, look forward to that in about six or seven months' time. Well, we're starting to get to the point that we should think about going to a song. This song is from The Musical 6. Now, I just wanted to mention uh, 6 because it is coming to Sydney as of very early January. Now, it's pretty exciting because 6 is quite a new musical. It premiered only a couple of years ago at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival after being written by a bunch of students at Cambridge University. Uh, It immediately took off in the UK. It's had a UK tour. It's made it all the way to the West End. Mm. Um, It's going to be premiering on Broadway in February. Um, I guess we shouldn't really be surprised that it took off so well in the UK given its subject matter. Yes, but it's also, um, having heard the soundtrack, I'm quite excited about oh yeah this. i should imagine you were yeah i'm i'm quite excited to see that we're we're getting quite an early run of it in australia as well and i'm keen to see what the australian cast has to offer so i'm going down uh probably in february to see it at the sydney opera house um i highly recommend you consider it as well i know that it's also touring to melbourne and adelaide mm. so sorry brisbane oh it's it's it feels bad it feels mm. bad to be brisbane sometimes it does Well, this is a song from Six the Musical, and after this, we'll be announcing the winner of Best Original Production for the 2019 Anth Awards here on 106.9 Tune FM's Anthology. This is Get Down from Six the Musical. Sitting here all alone on a throne In a palace that I happen to own Bring me some pheasant, keep it on the bone Fill my goblet up to the brim Sipping on mead and I spill it on my dress With the gold lace trim Not very prim and proper 
can't make me stop I wanna go hunting any takers I'm not fakers I've got acres and acres Paid for with my own riches Where my hounds had released the bitches Woof Every day head back for a round of croquet Cause I'm a player And tomorrow I'll hit replay You, you said that I tricked ya Get down, you dirty rascal Get down Get down Get down, you dirty rascal Get down Get down Cause I'm the queen of the castle When I get bored I go to court Put up outside in my carriage, don't got no marriage So I have a little flirt with the footman as he takes my fur As you were Making my way to the dance floor Some boys make an advance, I ignore them Cause my jam comes on the loot Looking cute, das is gut All eyes on me No criticism I look more rad than Lutheranism Okay, ladies, let's get in reformation. You, you said that I tricked ya. Cause I, I didn't look like my profile picture. Too, too bad I don't agree. Get down, you dirty rascal Get down Get down Get down Get down Cause I'm the queen of the castle I ain't saying I'm a gold digger But check my prenup And go figure Got gold chains Symbolic of my faith to the higher power in the fast lane My horses can trot up to 12 miles an hour Let me explain I'm a Wiener schnitzer, not an English flower No one tells me I need a rich man Doing my thing in my palace in Richmond You, you said that I tricked ya Get down, you dirty rascal! Get down, yeah, come on, ha! Get, 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 get down. Get down with me. Get down, you dirty rascal. Get down. It's Anna of Cleves. <laughs> I get, I get down. Ow! Cause I'm the queen of the castle. That was from Six the Musical Get Down here on 106.9 Tune FM's Anthology Season 2 Volume 6. And now we get into the exciting part. Yes, we're going to be announcing the the winner of our very first 
Anth Award in this break. And this for this break, we're going to be talking about Best Original Production. Now, this, this award category uh, goes to a production that was either originally written or adapted by the uh, producers of the show, uh, as in the Armadale producers of the show. And uh, it aims to reward creativity, originality, and uh, the use of uh, the creation of something different, I guess, in terms of theatre. Um, so we have three nominees that uh, all in this case are either direct adaptations or adaptations inspired by uh, source material, um, but all were written and uh, I guess the dramaturgical side of it was done by our wonderful people here in Armadale. So we have three wonderful nominees and Ben is absolutely chomping at the bit he's almost opening the envelope already we haven't even talked i know i'm excited i want to see what the i want to see what the result i had obviously i voted um i know that um it, it's not like a um we obviously can't rig the ballots because it's all done via voting so my vote counted as much as anyone else's so um i'm keen to see what the uh what the or not not only the inaugural anth awards but also the very first anth award that will be presented so it's a it's a big thing for these three nominees. Oh, it's very exciting. Well, we'll get into the nominees then. So the first of our three nominees uh, was Dangerous Women, uh, written and directed by UNE Honours student Eva Howitt for her Thea 401H production. It was a modern interpretation of legendary women from ancient Greek myth. It was a play about five famously dangerous female figures from classic Greek literature set in a contemporary upscale bar. Um, so it was it was a very interesting production the way it was done. Uh, it used a very unique space in terms of the A1 Arts Courtyard. If you haven't been there, there's this nice little courtyard, uh, kind of in the midst of the A1 Theatre building. Yeah, it's almost like a it almost like the building wraps around it. Yeah, and there's this lovely little space with a, a kind of circular stage and tiered seating in front of that. I think every time um, I've walked through that space as a theatre student, someone has commented. God, I would love to do a show in here. Mm. Um, and Justifiably so. Yeah, it's a very interesting space, and Dangerous Women really made use of that. Um, well done, Eva. Really, really interesting lighting, um, particularly interesting moments of using the actors' bodies for really physical moments of theatre that broke the realism, broke the... Uh, and kind of physicalized different stories and anecdotes and that kind of thing and it was a, it was a very interestingly put play that reinterpreted uh, five legendary characters into really a discussion on a more on more contemporary issues of love betrayal violence and feminism so um a wonderful combination yeah i well hopefully uh, you you in the right context Ben. oh yes i'm not saying we <laughs> should be a m lovely murdering feminist that's not in, that's not where i'm going with that lovely at all betraying violent feminist exactly um no it was it was a very interesting show so it ran at the a1 courts yard in november it was uh very very well received as well i just want to make a quick mention that in our honorable mentions page now i want to say i think that I, I'm not disparaging you people who voted this at all, but I think you've missed the point of honourable mentions. Ooh, um, just taking a shot at our voters. Well done. Isn't the point of honourable mentions to mention somebody that didn't get a, a nom? That's what I put it there for anyway. But it doesn't matter. Wait, because what did they all put? 
that, well, well I was about to say, Dangerous Women got several, no. uh, several mentions oh, in, in right, the yeah. honorable mentions, which, I mean, just goes to show what an impact it made. It, um, it, it really did make quite an impact. And it, considering that it was an honors project as well, um, this was one individual student pulling all of this together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with 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 all a lot of help, but it was a, yeah, it was a passion project for Eva, and that's um, fantastic to see. I, I I don't think I've said this on air before, but I am a massive fan of passion projects mm. because uh, Christopher Nolan obviously is a good example of that. And anybody that puts a good passion project on it, you can find it has a lot more. In a lot of cases, you can really see and sense the uh, writer or creator or director's passion for the subject matter and for the art coming through in the production. So I'm a huge, huge fan of projects like that. Well, it, uh, it came out uh, being very popular. Several mentions in our honourable uh, mentions as well. The second nominee. Now, uh, this is one that I went along to see. It was Batman, put together by the team of Grimy Strike, which is Andrew O'Connell, Joby Strike, and they were joined by Alex Evans for this one. Uh, It was an adaptation, a direct adaptation of the 1966 Batman film screenplay put into a a short comedic theatrical piece at the Welder's Dog. Um, Now, it was was very interestingly done. Mm. They uh, deliberately played on the, if you've seen the 1966 Batman film, uh, there's a lot of very cartoony, very campy, Mm. very uh, cringy moments that, the old sort of superhero movies we're renowned the, for. The old Batman, the, yes, the pow coming up on the screen kind yeah. of thing. Um, and they really made use of that. They made some very bright, colorful costumes, some uh, fantastic props, and they really made use of the space as well because um, they recognized that they were performing in essentially a bar. Mm. And they made this, they took a really fun screenplay and turned it into a really fun almost interactive in a sense piece of theater that I don't want to go as far as as being a, a an obnoxious theater student and saying it was Brechtian but it was it was almost self it knew it was a piece of theater it knew it was just a uh, something that people were paying a bit of money to come down and see and have a couple of drinks and that was what made it so delightfully funny just to keep your uh, theatre student elitism in check, could you define for our audience what Brechtian means? So Brechtian, uh, Bertolt Brecht uh, was a, a playwright um, who essentially broke conventions of theatre because what he did was almost realism in a sense, but his plays acknowledged in a sense that they were plays. Mm. So there would be things like um, stage directions or locations coming out on placards um, kind of breaking the idea of having to make the audience believe that they're truly in a in a location by just telling them you're in a location. So to simplify it almost to an insulting level, it's essentially breaking the fourth wall in a way. Yeah, to a, to a level that it's almost self-deprecating. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and this was, it, it wasn't Brechtian in the serious sense like that. It was more Brechtian because the humor relied on it recognizing that it was a silly piece of theater. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of anyone better than Andrew O'Connell, Joby Strike, and Alex Evans. No, I'm very familiar with, um, well, the work of those three students individually. Um, students, Andrew and Joby are not students. I know, <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> oh, forget it. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I'm well aware that they're not students. I was trying to do a tongue-in-cheek, but it doesn't matter now. You ruined it for yeah, me. Well, Moving on. You've, you've 
Yeah, no, you can't joke. Um, that's all right. You've had your one joke. I told you this. Oh, no, I had one pun. I'm allowed to have more than one joke. Nah. Oh, damn. You're not allowed to be funny anymore. Oh, all right then. But speaking of funny, um, it was it was delightfully done. I can't mention the props enough because if you know the 1966 Batman film, there's things like the bat, um, the bat copter and that sort of thing, the, the giant bomb. Uh, all that sort of stuff, and they were yes. the, these props were bright and colourful, and it was a really um, fun, campy night of of theatre that really capitalised on the fact that it knew it was um, it, it knew it was a piece of theatre. It knew that we were all at a pub having a bit of fun and watching it, and that was made it what made it so delightful. So it was an excellent adaptation and a brilliant concept right from the get go. And I just want to make a special mention to Alex Evans, who starred in no less than three of our Anth Award nominees for tonight. Oh, Alex, you beautiful man. <laughs> well, no, um, very, um, very uh, huge congratulations to yourself. Um, let's see if you can manage to nab one over the course of this evening. Well, we what can. Did you, sorry, did you, what did you say the name of the group was? Grimy? Grimy Strike. Grimy Strike. Okay, gotcha. Yes, yes. Uh, so a play on Andrew O'Connell and Joby Strikes. Yeah. Yeah. Names. And, uh, um, yeah, well, we, we've been talking for almost 10 minutes, so I should get on to the third nominee before we run out of time. The final nominee was High Country Theatre's Jack and the Beanstalk, which was adapted and directed by Gordon Cope. Um, now, Gordon has a history in Armadale of putting on uh, some fantastic uh, pieces of theatre that he either adapts or writes himself. He was responsible for... Red Balloon, which I went and saw a couple of years ago, which was marvellous. And Jack and the Beanstalk was an adaptation of Jack and the Beanstalk. Everyone knows the story uh, that really took it in a different direction, uh, a very satirical, a very politically aware kind of direction, uh, utilising the musical talents of Benjamin Thorne, who's very involved with ADMS. Uh, it had a really uh, wonderful cast and uh, put on a, a great show uh, back in May, that down in the Hannah's Arcade, which they have used that space before. It's a very interesting space to see theatre done in. I should imagine. Um, yeah, so uh, it was an original score as well um, with uh, Bob Thompson actually composed the original score. And um, and it was... So so the originality, while while it might have flown under the radar in terms of consideration for originality, when, when you see posters for Jack and the Beanstalk, you know, it's, it seems like something that... Um, might just be someone putting it on. This was a really, this was a work of art by, by Armadale for Armadale. Um, so, it featured a a wonderful cast of some some of Armadale's uh, bright upcoming stars. Uh, they sold out um, one of their shows, which is an excellent achievement. Absolutely, um, kudos to you fellas. Yeah, they d they did an excellent job of that. High Country Theatre is is an excellent one as well. I do highly recommend going along to their shows, partially because of that, because of Gordon Cope's involvement and the fact that they do encourage a lot of their um their shows to be composed um, originally and or adapted originally. Um, and Jack and the Beanstalk was was no exception, really taking a a stance on. Um, Capitalism and the and the kind of uh, productivism, I guess, um, the the assembly line productivism that uh, that we have in modern modern Western society. Um, so really taking that fairy tale and using it for a a different kind of political purpose mm. was was a very interesting way to do that. And of course, I will always commend them for the use of Hannah's Arcade 
my goodness, they use that space well. Yeah, absolutely. So we have our three nominees, Dangerous Women, Batman, and Jack and the Beanstalk. Just getting the envelope ready. He's getting the envelope ready. Now, I want to mention that this, the winner of this category took it out with a 64% majority. In the first place. In the first right. place. So there was no need for preferential voting. This one was an overwhelming favorite. Ben. Yes. And the winner of the, the Anth Award goes to... Uh, let's open the envelope here. And a huge congratulations to our inaugural Anth Award winner, Dangerous Women. Dangerous Women with 64% of the vote. Eva Howitt wins the Most Creative Original Production Anth Award for 2019. Congratulations to you, Eva. Um, obviously, we're certainly excited to see what else you come up with. And to our other nominees, uh, Grimy Strike and... Um, the uh, high country high theater. country yep sorry uh commiserations obviously your work was tremendous and you consider yourselves uh, very deserving nominees of that uh, award well let it be said as well that jack and the beanstalk isn't done it's also been nominated no. for best play later on yes. in the night neither is dangerous women let it be I said know. also nominated for best UNE production but um i will i will highly commend batman as well while it yes. didn't win tonight i had a wonderful time out at that production and uh, all three of its uh, creators should be commended as well for some wonderful work. But Dangerous Women is the very first winner of an Anth Award for uh, Best Original Production. My word, it was it was a show and a half. Yeah. I, it was fantastic use of that space, fantastic cast, um, very, very well done original production. To, to think that Eva wrote that from scratch and then put it all together like that. A victory for the uh, murderous, betraying, love-struck feminists, I believe, is what, the, is what the play was about. So congratulations to you all. All right, we have our first winner. We're going to take a break from announcing winners for a little while because we've got some movies to review in a minute. Yes. But um, after that, we will be announcing the second Anth Award for Best UNE Production Ooh. right after we'll go to the movie reviews right after this song. Now, it is Christmas Eve. So I've got to play some Christmas songs. I hate you with a passion. <laughs> oh. Why do you come here? Oh, I have to. Well, look, okay, now it's so fair. If I subject you to my jokes, you, I guess it's fair that you subject me to Christmas music. All right. We're going to go to some Christmas music. Have a very Merry Christmas Eve. We're counting down. Big guy's almost here. I hope it brings you something nice. Stay tuned.
You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM's Anthology. That was All I Want for Christmas Is You by Mariah Carey. Now, Ben doesn't like me for that. All I Want for Christmas Is for You to Move Out of the Country. <laughs> oh. um, well, unfortunately, I'm not going to do that, but we are going to talk a little bit about movies now. This is a bit of an exciting week for Ben. Oh, Christ, yes it is. I will say, full disclosure, I was... For a very uh, for a few days, greatly considering viewing Cats, for two reasons. One, because it meant I would be able to absolutely unload on what I'm sure is the worst film of 2019, based on uh, early uh, reception, and also because I know that you will be reviewing um, Rise of Skywalker um, next next week. week. So I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if we just did them together and sort of gave our own opinions? But in a way, I thought no, because I was way too excited to see Rise of Skywalker. I went to the midnight screening, which was amazing. Uh, thank you to Belgrave and shout out to Belgrave for handling that very, very well. And I thought, okay, it'll be a good experience. It'll be a good thing. It might be a good, um, an interesting thing for our listeners to hear my thoughts and response to it and review a week before hearing yours. So we can sort of see how we both... Space it um, out. See yeah, our different exactly. responses. And obviously, um, no, everyone listening, you needn't worry because I know some of you may not have seen the film yet. My review will be spoiler free. Um, I will be speaking about. I will be speaking about the movie, but I will do my best to keep as many spoilers out of it. Um, so you needn't worry. I won't be divulging major plot developments or anything like that. Well, it's also a bit of an interesting week because we're going to have a bit of a showdown. Yes. We're going to have a real big showdown because J.J. Abrams has returned to the helm of Star Wars. Thank God. But does he get the last laugh? Because while um, while J.J. Abrams was back in the Star Wars helm, we're about to hear if, we think, if Ben thinks uh, that he did a better job than Rian Johnson. I was, meanwhile, watching a Rian Johnson film. Mm-hmm. Um, Knives Out, his, his new whodunit um, which was rather interesting, and I'll let you know what I thought of it very shortly. But, Ben, as is customary, you can start first. Rise Thank of you. Skywalker, tell us all about it. So, Rise of Skywalker. Going in, I had, I'll say, mixed optimism levels because, on one hand, The Last Jedi was, and I strongly believe this, the worst of the Star Wars films, at least the main star, the main saga Star Wars film since Attack of the Clones, and I realized that Rian Johnson was leaving. Um, no disrespect to him. He is a good filmmaker and a good director. I just don't think his choices and directive ideas for Last Jedi were very good. So I was excited that J.J. Abrams was making a return to the chair for R- Rise of Skywalker, and it was the conclusion of the what's now dubbed the Skywalker Saga, the nine-film, three-trilogy epic space opera that is Star Wars. I'm a big Star Wars nerd, so I was excited. Went to the midnight screening, and I know that the reception for this film has been very mixed, um, which I expected because The Last Jedi was so polarizing among fans. I realized straight off the bat after finishing the film, this is going to get a lot of mixed reviews. Um, So I will say my personal opinion is this film is the best mains, this film is the second best Star Wars film in the main saga, second only to Empire Strikes Back. Ooh, and I, I realized that that will be a lot a controversial to some people, so let's go through it. Now, obviously, without divulging any spoilers, what I will say is The Last Jedi made a lot of decisions that sort of retconned and took the Star Wars universe in a different direction to what J.J. Abrams had planned and what he had sort of put in motion with The Force Awakens. So Abrams came back and was like, well, no thank you, and sort of retconned a lot of the ideas from Last Jedi and concluded the saga. And that leads to what what I think a lot of people will consider to be a problem with the film. Its pacing is... It's not rushed pacing, I'll say, but it crammed... It felt like it was trying to cram two movies' worth of content into a two-and-a-half-hour movie. So 
there wasn't enough, there wasn't much time between scenes for you to process and digest what had just happened. It was pretty much bang, 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 which on one hand is exciting because it's non-stop action. So it's, you know, there's never any lulls or dull moments, which I was a fan of, but I do understand that, you know, proper pacing and proper scene uh, layout is important in a film. So that could go either way. Um, acting, uh, the performances were all stupendous. Uh, of course, all of the uh, main cast return. Um, uh, I'm... I can't say that that person is in it because that is a slight spoiler, but um, Carrie Fisher, obviously, um, it, her footage, unused footage from the last two movies was used because obviously, unfortunately, Carrie Fisher is no longer with us. It was very poignant and quite emotional to see her in what is her very last film role. Um, John Boyega, of course, returns as Finn. Uh, Daisy Ridley returns as Ray. Uh, Mark Hamill returns as Luke Skywalker. Um who was killed at the end of Last Jedi, but that's all right. And this isn't a spoiler because it was revealed leading up to it. Ian McDermott returns as Sheev Palpatine, the Dark Lord, the Darth Sidious of the Sith and the Galactic Emperor. And I will say that even 36 years after he fell to his death at the hands of Darth Vader, he does give a tremendous performance. So thank you to Ian McDermott for coming back. Um, other, again, another return that was uh, revealed in advance was uh, Billy D. Williams returning as Lando Calrissian, which was wonderfully nostalgic. This actually brings me to another thing that I've seen a lot of people criticizing the film for, fan service. I disagree with that entirely, and I'll tell you why. I'm trying to sort of get through this quickly because now you've got a film to review, <laughs> so I'm trying to speed through it. Oh, that's okay. You've got plenty of time. Um, Fan service is something that The Force Awakens was heavily criticised for, and I think The Rise of Skywalker will be criticised for. Here is why I think that criticism is invalid. This trilogy, especially Abrams, because Rian Johnson sort of moved away from, obviously, he sort of took the Star Wars... He, he wanted this, this trilogy, I think, to be very independent, to the point where he rather... One of the lines in the film was Kylo Ren saying, let the past die, kill it if you have to, which even at the time I thought was way too on the nose. I feel like this is being used to tie the trilogies together because the original trilogy obviously was the remains the uh, the best of the three trilogies. The prequel trilogy sort of ex gave a bit more backstory into the Star Wars universe. Um, they were obviously very negatively received, the first two especially. And I think this sequel trilogy does a very good job, especially the, la the first and last movie or the seventh and ninth chronologically, do a very good job of tying all three films together. And I think having... The old guard return, having Carrie Fisher being a part of it, having Mark Hamill, uh, Harrison Ford, um, Billy D. Williams now, I think it does a lot to connect what the story is, uh, to sort of show the audience that this isn't a completely separate Star Wars trilogy. This is very much part of the same universe and same series of events that the Star Wars has always been, universe has always been about. So I was fine with it. Plus, they are all three actors, all three of the main actors, and Mr. Billy D. Williams can still act very well. So I had no problem with it, and they're not overused. The focus, in, especially in Rise of Skywalker, is very much on the new characters, very much on Poe, very much on Rey especially, very much on Kylo Ren. And I will say I wasn't the biggest fan of Adam Driver as Kylo Ren in the first two films. He nails his performance. Like, the Kylo Ren character absolutely shines in this movie. It was tremendous development for his character, um, I had another point then, but it just slipped my mind while I was shouting out uh, Adam Driver as Kylo Ren, so I'll come back to that. Um, and I saw um, a lot of criticism also for retconning the ideas that were came out in The Last Jedi. Again, no, I try not to spoil um, as much as I can, but there were 
a lot of decisions that pretty much completely disregarded what had been established in The Last Jedi. This brings me to a piece of criticism I have for this trilogy as a whole. This trilogy could have been spectacular if they had come up with an overarching plot for the three films and had the same director for each one, rather than letting Rian Johnson have the reins and telling him, do what this movie what you want, because then Abrams has to come along and tie everything back together and include his original vision. That is, I think, one of the biggest flaws of this trilogy, because rather than you've essentially got three films, it's essentially a three films loosely connected, rather than obviously the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy were very much about one one long plot that took three movies to get there. Think Lord of the Rings, for instance. That's another good example of what I'm talking about. So that is my criticism for the sequel trilogy as a whole. That's not entirely extended to Rise of Skywalker. Um, another bit of criticism I had, modern language. I know it's to be expected, but there was one moment where um, two characters were labelled as goals, which... I get it, modern language, you have to appeal to the youth, I understand that, but it just felt a little bit jarring. And I will say, again, without spoiling anything, my personally, personally my most hated character in Last Jedi, obviously they had to be included because they were in The Last Jedi, but they had very little screen time, which I am exceptionally grateful for. The focus was kept where it had to be. Um, in terms of soundtrack, John Williams returns, obviously, and he said this may be his last Star Wars film that he scores for. He absolutely nails it, as obviously I think everyone expected him to. He uses music from each of the eight preceding Star Wars films to tie it together. It's wonderful. The cinematography is stupendous, as it was always a lot of people expected it to be. Um, I can't really criticise it too much more. I have to give it personal enjoyment for me. It was a 9 out of 10. Star Wars nerd to be expected. Acting, I'm giving an 8 out of 10. Um, soundtrack, 10 out of 10. I don't normally give 10 out of 10s for much, but... I can't fault John Williams at all. It was amazing. Plot, I'm going to give an eight. Um, I think it was tremendous with what they had, with what they could work with. I think it was very well done. Um, visual effects and cinematography, nine and a half. Uh, I'm going to give it nine and a half. Um, there was a decent lightsaber duel. Again, no spoilers, which is wonderful. Uh, and there was one other thing I'll say. There was a lot of, not comic relief so much, but more some of the humor that was present in the original trilogy especially with the droids comes back and it is very very amusing overall if you are a fan of the original trilogy and especially if you liked the force awakens go and see this finale i loved it i truly did i will give you a word of warning if you really appreciated the last jedi and think that it was a good movie or really liked the direction it had taken a word of warning you probably won't like this movie as much as uh, other people because it does do a lot to sort of change what occurred in last jedi so just a little heads up there um i can't really say too much more without spoiling so i'll say more next week obviously when jake reviews it because that's when that's a little more time has passed so we can be a little bit more lax with our spoilers rule but it's certainly uh it moves now into second place on my reviewed list um without obviously spoiling too much more or repeating what i've already said i i think it's a tremendous movie and i would encourage everyone to go and watch it whether you are a star wars nerd or not one last time take a trip to a galaxy far far away and watch the end of a franchise that has spanned more than 40 years it's it's wonderful excellent well jj abrams seems to have retconned that um and now, if and now, watch, now i've got no doubt whatsoever that you'll watch it next week and say it's the worst film you've ever seen that seems to be our mo I, well we we tend to disagree a lot but that's that's to be 
that's for next week. No, um, that's true. That's true. To we'll, your movie now. Uh, Knives Out, Rian Johnson. Uh, he's had this this concept in mind since 2005. Um, he first conceptualized this film. Now, um, I went in with I didn't know what to expect because obviously my introduction to Rian Johnson was The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. which I will agree with Ben on. I didn't like it as a Star Wars film. Um, so I was not sure what to expect, but I had seen, there are certain scenes in The Last Jedi that I found were very well directed, very well, uh, some, some very interesting cinematography ideas. So I was keen to see what he could do in a, um, in an original, uh, screenplay where he had control. He was not bowing to, uh, to conform to, um, what a, a series required of him. And what I found was Something that I really appreciate in a director is when they can take a genre that's really died down and do something new with it. So I really was a big fan of Jordan Peele for a while because he took horror, which had fallen into a little bit of uh, pumping out the same old things over and over again. And he did something different with Get Out. Um, And I have to say, Knives Out is that for the whodunit. Awesome. Um, Rian Johnson has really revived the whodunit um, in in the sense that, and I won't spoil it by telling you this, but he actually gives you a, it's not necessarily a red herring because it, it is true, but by about halfway through the film, you feel like the mystery is fully resolved, but there's more to it. He has this beautifully layered story. Um, and some spectacular performances. I want to point out a couple of them. Daniel Craig, my goodness, takes on a very different character to uh, what we've seen before. Obviously, him as James Bond, those sorts of things. Very, very different style of of character that he absolutely shines in. Uh, Chris Evans, I was a little bit doubtful after seeing the trailer because I in the in the one line that he had in the trailer, um, what I saw was that's Captain America mm. in a in a sweater. And I started to think, you know, maybe Chris Evans has one character, maybe he's not. I was say he might have been typecast. Yeah, he, well, I, I was worried that maybe he'd been Captain America for so long that he got stuck in that, or maybe he just wasn't as good an actor as we thought, and he has one character. Like, that's that's what I was worried about. But he puts in, he puts in a very, very good performance as well. Yeah, um, Ana de Armas, who di- I didn't really know before, she plays the, the kind of, main character i suppose who is uh who does a spectacular job and also uh shout outs to jamie lee curtis who's very good michael shannon is very good um and i i also did enjoy christopher Plummer, uh his performance as well um i got a soft spot for christopher Plummer. overall there was there was a very interesting sequence right at the start of the film where um the, each of the family members, if you don't know what Knives Out is about, essentially it's a, an upper-class family. Um, the, the, the kind of uh, hierarch of the family, the, the patriarch of the family has been murdered or it's, uh, it's assumed to be a suicide, but there, there are suspicions of murder. Um, so they are, each of the family is being interviewed by the police. Um, and this, there was this very interesting sequence right at the start of the film where the interviews all overlapped each other. So um, they managed to squeeze it into one interview scene where you would turn around and the cops would ask a question. When you turn back, it was a different character in the seat. And there was this kind of this lovely rolling dialogue of 
switching between all of these different characters, police interviews, and getting a real lovely background story of what this family's about and who each character is, um, while not having that jarring thing of each character coming in to interview and hearing them one after the other. It was really lovely. The whole thing's really well done. There's some lovely shots. There's some very interesting and innovative ideas um, in the way that it's shot. I can't commend the story enough. I always worry with whodunits because I, f I feel like um, they're either too predictable or try too hard to be unpredictable. Yes. Um, and so I either find myself getting bored halfway through because I've worked it out or getting being full of adulation at the end because I was like, that's, that's ridiculous. That's, you tried so hard. You tried too hard. That doesn't really work for me. But this one, the way it unfolds is lovely. There's, there's a nice feel, you get that nice feeling at the end when it's revealed exactly what was going on of, oh, I understand that, you know, and you, and you see those hints, you think back and you see all those hints that were dropped before and you wonder how, it, you know, it was right in front of your face. You wonder how it could have possibly, uh, how you could have possibly missed it. Um, it's lovely. As I mentioned, it's got a beautiful red herring that makes you think that it's, it's over already. Um, about halfway into the film and it is worthy of all the nominations that it's getting so I have to say while your Star Wars work was not excellent <laughs> Rian Johnson you've redeemed yourself in my eyes because I thoroughly enjoyed Knives Out um, I was I was truly another another thing is that it added a comedy aspect to the whodunit as well it didn't take itself too seriously I think it saw that um, it would come across as too pretentious if it tried to just be what it was and it was not so much comedy as to undermine the dramatic tension that was going on but it was enough comedy to let you know that it wasn't taking itself too seriously and I really really enjoyed that um, I think Daniel Craig was excellent and Chris Evans was also excellent in that respect they were they put in some very funny performances I will say and I don't want to praise him too much because still I'm forgiving him for Last Jedi but I will say I thought that Rian Johnson would excel at making a film that's not tied to a series or tied to anything because he seemed mm. to have the attitude of Last Jedi of I don't care what the fans want or I don't want to cater to them I'm going to make this film that I want it's to see and I think that that does lend itself well to standalone films so I will go and see Knives Out probably over the next few days provided it's still in cinemas and I'm hoping that it will be good because I'd hate Rian Johnson's lasting legacy to be the last Jedi. Well, yeah, I think he, I think he takes films and sees them a little bit as his, his baby, and maybe that means that his, um, that he's not really conducive with the atmosphere of having to, um, to appeal to, to, to do certain things for a prequel and a sequel, and or to, or tie things together, or, or do things for the fans. It, it doesn't really work for him. One question I will ask about Knives Out: a lot of criticism I've seen for whodunits over the years has always been that they have little um, rewatchability because you've already fig you've already seen who does it. Is that similar for Knives Out? I would go back and watch it again. Um, <coughs> Sorry. Oh, explosive sneeze. Sorry, my um, <laughs> No, I would go back and see Knives Out at least once more. I won't um, say whether I would rewatch it after that. My main reason for going back and watching it at least one more time is that I did, at the point of reveal where everything came together, I had thought back and gone, oh... That's what that was about. Now right. I know what that was about. And I think going back and watching it again and spotting those things would be very entertaining. But I, yeah, it, it it is something, and it's a genre that maybe loses its appeal after the first time when you're not quite wondering anymore because you know what happens. Um, but 
Knives Out is very spectacularly done and I, I would probably at least still enjoy it for um, the unique and interesting things that it did with its cinematography and film cool. as well. So, um, yes, I've placed it in second in my um, in my movie rankings. It falls just, just short of Judy. I was almost at the point of tossing a coin yeah. because I found them both wonderful, but it does pip Frozen 2 into second spot. So... That's our movie reviews. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking, we're going to be uh, awarding another Anth Award to the best UNE production. For now, though, this is a song. Stay tuned to 106.9 Tune FM. From the back door of your life, you swept me out, dear. In the breadline of your dreams, I lost my place. At the table of your love, I got to brush off. At the Indianapolis of your heart, I lost the race. I've been washed down the sink of your conscience. In the theater of your love, I lost my part. And now you say you've got me out of your conscience. I've been flushed from the bathroom of your heart. In the garbage disposal of your dreams, I've been ground up, dear, on the river of your plans, I'm up the creek, up the elevator of your future, I've been shafted, on the calendar of your events, I'm last week. I've been washed down the sink of your conscience In the theater of your love, I lost my part And now you say you've got me out of your conscience I've been flushed from the bathroom of your heart That was Flushed from the Bathroom by Johnny Cash here on 106.9 Tune FM. You're listening to Anthology Season 2, Volume 6. I'm pretty sure that I've been saying Volume 2, Season 6 at least a couple times. but Oh, that's all right. Yeah, you know, whatever. doesn't really matter. We're going to get on to another Anth Award now as we talk about the best UNE production, I'm the second excited. of our awards for tonight. Now, to clarify exactly how these categories work... What we decided we wanted to do was to have a separate award for UNE Productions, which means that this encompasses all UNE Productions, regardless of what category they fall into. And that, as a result, means that a UNE Production is not eligible to win Best Play or Best Musical. Yes, um, that's fair, I think. So, so Best UNE Production encompasses everything put on here at UNE, and then we have separate categories for the Best Play and the Best Musical put on in Armadale, separate from that. Uh, so the best UNE production nominees 
for this year. We've got three uh, wonderful plays, all of which, one of which, sorry, has been already mentioned tonight, as we know. Uh, and this is looking to uh, reward a wonderful production put on as part of UNE, whether that's part of coursework, uh, whether that is the UNE production itself, uh, or whether that's something through, say, Friends of Theatre Society or a co-curricular group like that, um, a club or society, whatever it be, uh, put on here at U What is the best production that was put on here at UNE in 2019? So, Ben, you're excited. I'm stoked. Well, I am absolutely stoked for this one. He's got the envelope at the ready. We'll I talk do. about the nominees first, and we'll start off with the nominee that we've already heard plenty from tonight. Yes. Uh, the first nominee is Dangerous Women by Eva Howard. Oh, Eva, slamming it tonight. Absolutely. Her Theatre 401H production, which was put on in November. I, say, I hope she got a good mark for it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> given if, how popular it's been. If we're anything to go by, I'd, I'd certainly hope so. I mean, there's other, there's other attributes to that honours project, so oh, I suppose... Depends on uh, how everything else went, but I'd say that for this component, surely. Um, it was a wonderful production, as we've mentioned before, worthy of its win so far tonight already, and certainly worthy of another nomination. Featured an excellent cast as well. Mm, um, who was the lead? Uh, it was, so we had Jen Power, who was... Uh, yes who is 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 been uh, around doing theater in Armadale for quite some time yeah so as long as I have or probably longer than I have I would actually say uh, we had Sarah Watson who of course is in charge of things down there at Littlefish um, and she put in an excellent performance Lisa Quast who I've had on the show here quite recently who's also uh, been doing plenty of theater stuff around Armadale uh, and then Kira Duna and Amy Scholl as well both of whom are spectacularly talented young actresses and then um, Matthew, Matthew Whittingham and Kyle Donnan played the two bartenders and they put in wonderful performances that uh, shone when the moments were right as well they were that was excellent I love I love when a play can have minor characters that shine at the right time yes and then slip back into the background to let the major characters shine again. And Absolutely. It, well, it, well, it sounds it sounds harsh um, on the people playing the minor characters. It's it's important. It's a, it's an important role to have, but it's important that that role then doesn't overshadow everything else. Yeah, no, and I that's think where it's a, from. I think it's a spectacular talent to have to be able to do that. To and and I commend both of those guys for their their contribution to Dangerous Women because that was something that I really noticed at the time was that when when the moment came, when their moment, when their few moments came, they were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant and um, captivating and at times funny and it was, it, was, it was wonderful. But then they were quite willing to recede back to and still keep their persona and still keep doing what they were doing, knowing that probably at the moment not many people were paying attention to them. And that's a, that's a, that's a commendation of character and an excellent... Uh, it shows an excellent actor with a really good attitude. So, I mean, there was nothing to criticize about that production. Use of light was excellent. Use of music was excellent. Um, if it hadn't been for a bit of bushfire smoke, which I'm sure we really can't attribute to... Well, I'm either. assuming not. I don't yeah. think it would be fair to do so. Let's, Yeah, well, if, if it hadn't been for a little bit of bushfire smoke that was there on the night that I went, um, it would have been a... Stunning atmosphere to be in. It was slightly suffocating, but that's not Eva's fault. Well, at the end of the day, the most dangerous woman of all is Mother Nature. Ah, uh, yes, unfortunately so. But yes, as as we've said before, and we've talked about it plenty tonight, uh, Dangerous Women, a wonderful, wonderful uh, production put on by Eva Howitt for her honors project, and it has been. It is one of two plays uh, that has been 
nominated for two mm. uh, Anth Awards tonight, which I've actually worked out is the maximum. Mm, yes. You should be commended. Uh, it, that is, that's, that's the maximum possible. So you can't, you can't do any better than that. Congratulations, Eva. Um, we're going to move on then and talk a little bit more about our other two because Dangerous Women's had plenty of airtime and we've, we're not trying to convince anyone. You've all already voted. I was going to say it's too late now. Anyway. Yeah. We'll, we'll move on to the second nominee, which was Friends of Theatre Society's Some Explicit Polaroids. Oh, this was a good show. It was back this in was uh, August from memory. I don't know. I should know. I was in it. I was about um, to say, you were in it. August, June, July. Sometime. It was winter. Okay, well done. So you, okay, was, so we've established it's <laughs> in the season of winter. That's it was good in, enough. It was in winter. I, I remember because it was cold. Uh, this was uh, played we by Mark. We live in Armadale. It's normally always cold. Very cold. Um it, it's a play by Mark Ravenhill, a bit of a uh, in-your-face theatre kind of play directed by Tyrone Cross, who is absolutely excellent yes. um, fourth-year student who Truly um, excellent. Oh, he has such an eye for the aesthetic nature of his shows and some explicit Polaroids was no exception. There was a real aesthetic quality to it. Um, without talking myself up too much, the cast were cohesive right from the get-go. There was a real sense that everyone was there to do a job done, get a job done, um, and that everyone was confident in their own ability to do it and could really rely on one another to do it. Um, He's being modest. He was excellent. Thank you, Ben. You're wonderful. Everyone else was excellent too. Shout out to the rest of the cast. Yes, you were all very, very um, skilled with the show that I managed to catch. Alex Evans, Jesse Donaldson, Rosie Oxman, Elias Moffat, Sid Bobbin, and I feel like I'm forgetting someone, but I think you? I'm not. Me, yeah, fine, whatever. They were they were all excellent. Um, it's a very confronting play, um, one that was that dealt with some pretty difficult themes, yeah, um, things like drug totally. use and uh, violence and terrorism and political activism and that sort of thing. So it was it was a, a difficult um, difficult subject matter at times, but it was a very I think aesthetically and in terms of use of the space, it was a very interestingly done play. Um, and I think everyone that was involved by the end of it was very proud of the, the finished product. I was going to say some of the best players come from extremely dark subject matter. Oh, absolutely. And that's going to be no exception for our third nominee segway, as well. Segway, 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 segway. Oh, just before we segue, I will use that as the segue, though, now that you've given me it. Uh, so Some Explicit Polaroids uh, was the f- major FOTS production for the year. Um, they are our essentially our clubs and society um, theatre group. Uh, they put on some wonderful stuff and they uh, they have been doing for a couple of years now and they will be doing in the future. And it was excellent to see a, a real passion project go onto the show because I know for a f- and onto the FOTS stage because I know for a fact that Tyrone is a big Mark Ravenhill fan. Uh, he'd done a short excerpt of another one of Mark Ravenhill's plays for his Theatre 333 project. Mm. And uh, so it was a real passion project to be able to finally put on a full production of one of uh, Raven Hill's shows and um, he's very worthy of a nomination for best UNE production. I agree. And we'll move on to the third and final nominee, which speaking was, of dark subject yeah, matter. Speaking of dark subject matter was uh, the UNE show uh, Black Rock by Nick Enright and directed by Lisa Goldzier. Oh, God. So Blackrock uh, was an adaptation of Nick Enright's uh, play, which deals with some rather difficult subject matter, as we mentioned. It's uh, directly inspired by an actual uh, sexual assault and murder that happened 
in Newcastle in the late 1980s. And it uh, deals with not necessarily the event itself, but um, the the fallout that it has on a small, tight knit community mm. of people, including the the her schoolmates, um, her, the the parents, um, those who actually committed the crime, and uh, and and it's 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 kind of the uh, the dissolution, I guess, of a of a community of people uh, who've been unfortunately involved in a very tragic event. Um, as as was expected, it was again another play that was rather confronting to deal with, but at the same time dealt with some very important issues, and it should be commended for that. Um, the director Lisa adapted it to include references to uh, Greek mythology. She found some lovely parallels with Greek legend, and then yeah. used that and took it in the direction of um, really highlighting the the Me Too movement and the the kind of themes of the play that. Um, the, the kind of things that can go overlooked, such as that party culture, such as that um, the, the culture that these kinds of things, uh, because, and I, I will talk about this on the radio if you don't know the unfortunate true story, um, that there was not an awful lot of sentencing given out. Uh, sorry, I just feel like it would be not entirely, um, it's not something that is a major thing, but it might be a good idea just to let everybody know that the next yeah. few minutes is going to be a very much uh, content warning for Content warning, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to step around it as no, much no, as I No, no, I get can, that, yeah, yeah, but it's just, you know, it's, uh, it it's, might be better it's to difficult. cover ourselves. Yes, so um, essentially there was not a lot of sentencing that um, was appropriately given out because of um, a culture that essentially defended um, the the uh, the person who committed the crime um, based on character. God, which, that is that is very very which is it's parallel a, to it's a scary society. it's a scary thought. And um, what Lisa did very well was took that and and I think saying that in terms of of the content warning that we have on it, what Lisa did very well was not necessarily take the event itself and try and scare people into agreeing with um, the stance that it took on on uh, gender equality and those kind of issues and the culture that we have but taking the taking the the people that were involved in both in the play and in the real events mm. and really using that and making making it a human thing this was a real thing that happened and here's what happened to families here's what happened to to all these sorts of things. So it was a very powerful production that got a lot of uh, commendation. Um, again, I was involved in it, and I can I can say again, it was a wonderful play visually. It was um, a, a very creative concept for a play, and it was, um, I think, a very important play as well. So absolute commendation to everyone who was involved, and there was an absolute army of people involved. I was about to say... Especially, and I want to obviously we mentioned this in FOTS when we were talking about um, some explicit Polaroids, but the cast of BlackRock as well, and arguably potentially more so because the subject matter was so dark and so confronting and harrowing to be a part of. I want to give a huge commendation to everyone that was a cast member of that particular play, BlackRock, because being in that mentality, especially some of the roles that were more, I guess, directly involved with the sexual assault and the aftermath that cannot be an easy headspace or a character to play so all of you um congratulations and you have my uh, certainly a lot of my respect because i can imagine it would be a very difficult thing to do 
Well, I um, say that as well because I know you weren't going to say it because you're too modest. Thank you, Ben. Well, um, one of the um, well, we've talked a little bit about the actual subject matter. Um, I, I we are here to talk about what it about the good things about it. Yes, and of course, it uh, it, it was a wonderful visual. Uh, a play that used a lot of different performance mediums. Um, it used everything from li- uh, having live musicians to uh, having projections on the stage to um, actually utilizing dance. Uh, we had a, a number of very talented dancers in the cast um, who, who put on a, a, a wonderful, wonderful show as well. Live musical instrument um, playing. There was, and, and there was an absolute army of people all bringing different talents and different aspects like costume design and, and, and um, the set design and everything, which was absolutely wonderful to be a part of and to see as well. So BlackRock, the third and final nominee and a very worthy nominee. Absolutely. That. Well, Ben, you get to open an envelope I again. do. I'm so excited. Um, what was the margin of this particular? Um, the margin of this particular win was uh, with a majority. Okay, no preferential voting 58% here. 58% majority. Ooh, so again, very, quite a, yep, very, very, quite a uh, comfortable decisive. win. Were there any um, particular uh, honourable mentions that stood out? I mean, I know there was a little bit limited. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to come to uh, most of the honourable mentions at the end oh, without cool. trying to no fit worries. them into categories. Um, but um, we'll come back to that. Cool. So I've got the envelope here and we have... The winner is... The winner is, um, once again, Dangerous Women. Uh, congratulations to Eva. You have a clean sweep so far. Clean sweep um, so far. Unfortunately, you can only be nominated for two. And both both um, first-round majorities. So a huge congratulations to um, Dangerous Women. It's certainly been a popular production. Yeah, oh, very popular production. So Dangerous Women takes out two Anth Awards at the inaugural Anth Awards. Congratulations to everybody involved in the other two productions as well. She's got a 100% success rate. That's 100% impressive. success rate. Um, some explicit Polaroids. Congratulations. You put on a very wonderful show, very yeah. unique show in terms of what Armadale's seen in the past. And uh, I, as I, I can't commend the aesthetics of that show enough. Um, even being up on that stage and seeing that set I was uh, I was blown away by how good it looked, and then BlackRock, of course, as well, as well, a very important show that dealt with some very important issues and did it in a wonderful way, using a lot of different performance mediums mm. and really drawing on the talents of a, a very broad and diverse cast. So, congratulations to those two for being nominated as well. Congratulations, of course, to Dangerous Women on taking out two. Anth Awards. Don't worry, our listeners. Um, fear not. The next Anth Award will be a new winner because that's all she's not. That's all Dangerous Woman was nominated for. That's all they can be nominated for. So 100% success rate. We'll be back after this song with the third Anth Award, which is for Best Play. Ooh. And once again, that is Best Play outside of UNE. So there's some very interesting nominees, and we'll be right back with you after this song. It's time for another Christmas song on 106.9 Tune FM.
That was Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid here on 106.9 Tune FM. You're listening to Anthology. We're about to announce the third Anth Award winner of four. It's very exciting. This category is for Best Play. Now, once again, that's Best Play outside of UNE. So we've got some nominees from around town that uh, appeared at um, various venues around Armadale and um, they were very exciting productions indeed. Now, also to define the difference between a play and a musical, if you're uh, not quite as informed, um, it, uh, to just to, just just Ben's laughing, no, but no, just I'm so not, that no, people know no, the no, difference no. between these categories. No, no, I'm not laughing at the fact. I was just laughing because the moment you said that, the song "A Musical" from Something Rotten just popped into my head, which made me chuckle. He, he knows what a musical is. So um, basically, the the way it's separated, a play is just a straight up. Uh, performance mm-hmm. um, of um, generally generally just dialogue, but again, there's a lot of flexibility there in terms of the way it's put on. A musical is a musical. It features um, features live singing by yeah. the cast. Um, it's often broken up into segments that are that culminate in musical numbers. Um, you get the idea. So th- you know the difference between to use two of our um, our nominees, Jack and the Beanstalk and Singing in the Rain. It's, you, you get the idea. I'm sure most people get it out there. I just want to make sure that it's pretty clear why we're putting yeah. each into each category. And I should, I'm not laughing at anyone. That obviously, I do know that people that might not be, you know, 100% really knowledgeable about theatre, it may, it may become a, a grey line, so. Yeah, exactly. So we will get into the nominees for Best Play. And the first is uh, Inheritance, which was the ADMS play for this year. Uh, it was a play put on by Hanny Rayson, uh, and it was directed by Jean Freer, who's done some wonderful stuff with ADMS throughout the past. Um, had a wonderful cast, quite a large cast, uh, by ADMS's uh, play standards, uh, featuring some wonderful uh, performances by the likes of Michael Gibson, uh, Mark Lawless, Valerie Dalton, Nick Troon, um, Liz Ellis, who works here at UNE. Um, I'm just about to get the whole cast up here. We had Margaret Kennedy. We had uh, Tyrone Duke. We had Martin Mantle. We had Penny Dalgleish. We had Ella Pringle. We had Sophie Troon, Alan Wilkinson, India Zakhan, Jesse Dwyer, Joshua Carmichael, and Arwen Todd. So as you can see, quite a large cast. Mm, um, certainly. Which for, is for which, a play standard. Which can be a difficult thing to work with, but um, Jean Freer, well... Isn't she an expert? Mm. Um, she put on a wonderful show that dealt with some very pertinent issues, uh, particularly because it was a, a play dealing with an Australian family who are fighting over the inheritance of um, a property. And, you know, given, given the, uh, the current conditions out in rural Australia, um, there were some very poignant and um, yeah, interesting points made with... Um, an excitingly young cast as well. It's good to see some young um, talent coming through. ADMS always put on a great um, show, really make use of the Hoskins space quite well. It's always interesting to see what they do with set in particular. Um, they tend to to put on something pretty, pretty good in terms of the set, and this was certainly no exception. Um, it was good to see something Australian as well. Um, it's very easy to... Um, kind of let Australian theatre go by the wayside sometimes, which is a little bit disappointing because we have a very strong history of theatre 
And uh, so it was it was very good to see that uh, Gene picked an Australian play and yeah. really Thanks, went with Jean. it. And it um, it turned out wonderfully, and it's a it's a worthy nominee of uh, for best play of 2019. Um, ADMS, by the way, if you're keen to get involved in theatre, they're probably the place I would recommend to go um, because they uh, they host open auditions. They are open to new members all the time and they put on something pretty good every year. They've got a play scheduled for October next year as well, which more details will be coming out about obviously a bit closer and it will be almost a year away from that at this point. So let's not get too worried about it just yet. But they're also doing Mamma Mia! The Musical. Um, And their play Inheritance has been nominated for the Anth Award of Best Play. Congratulations to all. And we'll go on to the next one because this one... Probably the most controversial of our inclusions because it was not put on by an Armadale production company. Uh, it was Tamworth Dramatic Society, but they did bring it to uh, Armadale. It, put, it uh, put on a show at the Taz Hoskins Centre. Good enough for me. And it was the uh, the wonderful production of I Am My Own Wife. Now, I had the pleasure... I'm so disappointed I missed this one. I had the absolute pleasure of, uh, of having uh, the the cast and crew behind that in for an interview Mm. uh, in the lead up to that show. And it's such a fascinating uh, play written by Doug Wright. And it's essentially um, played by one actor and it features, uh, I believe the number was 36 characters all played by the same actor. It's uh, based on conversations with German Charlotte von Malsdorf, um, who was uh, she she killed her father when she was a young child and survived the Nazi and communist regimes in East Berlin as a transgender woman so wow. uh, it's it's based on um, a, the story of a, a, a the true to life story of a real it's a story and a half there yeah real <laughs> real transgender woman who um, is, is just such this got such a fascinating um, life and they toured this they toured this play right throughout the state. They actually just finished up last month um, as far away as, as Newcastle and the Central Coast. Um, so it really made a, a wonderful impact. This is the play that won the 2004 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. And of course, Tamworth put on an excellent show and were kind enough to bring it up to the Taz Hoskins Center. And it was staggering, absolutely breathtaking and certainly worthy of a nomination for best play. Um, it was... I, th- there's no other words for it other than just poignant and beautiful. That's good. Um, a, a staggering performance, and um, we were very excited to be able to have such a, a wonderful production come to Armadale, um, and it was it was it was wonderfully put on. And we'll go to the third and final nominee, uh, which we have mentioned before, is Jack and the Beanstalk by mm. High Country Theatre, their production which was on at Hannah's Arcade, Gordon Cope's wonderful adaptation uh, featuring music by uh, Bob Thompson and uh, his name just completely slipped my mind there for a second. And of course the uh, wonderful talents of Benjamin Thorne involved behind the scenes there as well um, with a wonderful cast and a wonderful adaptation of the very well-known fairy tale that really took on um, capitalist ideals and... Um, the ma- the culture of mass production that we have um, in a very interesting way with original music and um, 
completely a completely original take on the fairy tale, which is always wonderful to see. Mm. And I'll, I'll come back to, as well, the use of Hannah's Arcade, because um, if, you, if you know the space, it's very... The architecture, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know my architecture very well, but there is a definite style of architecture that really makes it stand out as an interior space. Unfortunately, um, I don't get a lot of chance to go in there because there aren't any stores in there that I actually regularly go to. But it's, a, it's such a wonderful, beautiful space. And um, particularly the way they've made use of it in their productions in the past, including Red Balloon a couple of years ago, which was wonderful as well. Um, they really make use of such a, a a beautiful decorative space and kind of put on this this quite unconventional um, style of theater in in what you would at first glance think is a space that you could you could never put a piece of theater there mm. just not enough space not enough room but the way they work it is wonderful and it um it, it truly works and it it gives a, a a very interesting kind of kind of tone um, seeing it in a, in a very interesting space. I'm, I'm a big fan of theatre that's done in a different space, not just plonked into a theatre. Um, I now feel really bad about myself because I'm directing a play next year that's just <laughs> in a conventional theatre. Yes. But um, no, it's... And, and that, I'm, not, I'm not disparaging anybody that puts on a play in just a normal old theatre. Um, there's a time and a place. But I do admire someone who's able to take a different space and do something with it. And um, High Country Theatre have really done that with Hannah's Arcade and Jack and the Beanstalk, which uh, is in its second nomination now in Anantha Award, also nominated for Best Original Production and um, a worthy contender there with a wonderful young cast. Um, kudos as well to Bob Thompson. I really reckon the unsung hero of that production because original music is hard. Yeah. That's, that's it. I, there's no other way to put that. Original music is hard. And to have the talent to say, okay, we're going to put on a production. Can you write original music for that? Um, I'm not exactly sure how long it took him, but regardless of how long it took him, my goodness, that's a talent to have. And um, congratulations, Bob. That's, uh, you did a wonderful job and you are, you are certainly as worthy of these nominations as everyone else involved in that wonderful production. Mm. So those are the nominees. Inheritance by ADMS. I Am My Own Wife by the Tamworth Dramatic Society and Jack and the Beanstalk by High Country Theatre. Now, Ben's got the envelope, but before you get into it, this is where that little bit of a complicated rule comes in. We'll just yes. revisit it in case someone wasn't listening at the start of the show. Now, uh, we did vote on this through preferential voting, and this category meant that after first votes, the highest... Um, the high, the leading voted um, play yep. nominee, the leading voted nominee, had only forty five percent of the votes, which is not a majority. Which means we had to eliminate the play that was in last place, third place, and there, uh, those people that voted one for that play, their number two vote was counted instead to act as a tiebreaker. So it was very, very close. Very close indeed. In fact, of the uh, nearly 50 people who ended up voting 
in the survey there was a difference of two votes. Oh goodness me! So it was so that how so it was how close was it in terms of first round votes? Was it like one and one, or like was it a tie? Was it one it, off? In was terms it? of in terms of first round votes, it was a difference of two votes. Okay, but right. there was a there was a winner, a a, a good winner after um, preferential voting split it, mm-hmm. but it was a very very close category. Um, and my my survey uh, thing couldn't split it either. It gives them a score based on. Um, it tries to have its own system by giving you an aggregate score based on how many people voted two and three. Yeah. Um, they were identical. Wow. So it was a very, very close category. And uh, Ben is now about to open the envelope. Yeah, certainly by a margin of two votes. Um, certainly the closest one we've had so far. So the winner for best uh, play outside of UNE, of course, the Anth Award goes to Inheritance, Inheritance by ADMS. is the winner. ADMS takes out an Anth Award this year. Of course, they're up for another one in the next category, which we'll yes. get into very shortly. But congratulations to the, uh, the stellar cast, all of them. Yes. Because it was a big cast. Uh, all of the stellar cast and, of course, Gene and everyone involved behind the scenes with Inheritance. You guys did a wonderful job and you are worthy winners of an Anth Award. Uh, thank you to Time with Dramatic Society. I and my own wife was wonderful. Was that um, the one that came second just? Just, oh, yes. Oh, wowee. <laughs> and um, my, what a wonderful job they did as well. Um, so and thank you for bringing it up to Armadale. You guys were worthy nominees. And congratulations as well to Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah, commiserations, of course. Um, they did a wonderful job as well. I need some water. Holy so dooly. So do I. I think um, it's time for another song break. <laughs> we... Um, before the, <laughs> the dust is getting to both of us, yeah, so it's we'll nasty. We will be taking it's coming in through the air conditioning. I think I'm gonna play a song from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the musical, with no further explanation because I'm dying. This is it must be believed to be seen. <laughs> Won't you help me, please? I'm afraid that I might fall For my eyes and knees Have grown frail behind this wall Let me come to you Though it appears I've lost my pep but as this ancient relic read in the Tao of Jing, it said, The journey of a thousand miles begins with just one step. Beyond the stores, a factory. The gat from just a beam Beyond this door Surprise is in store But it must be believed to be seen Beyond this door's invention Where mind meets with machine Beyond these gates Astonishment waits But it must be believed to be seen No magic spell no potions for swear domain My kingdom's created from notions All swirling inside of my brain Beyond this door's a banquet Of warm made cuisine 
A lucky few will get to pass through, but it must be believed to be seen. Beyond this door is music. Come dance betwixt and between. Beyond this waltz is a world without faults, but it must be believed to be seen. Beyond this door's a puzzle. He'll find out what I mean. Beyond this gate is a world I create, but it must be believed to be seen. Despite the man seen at these doors, my childhood home was bland like yours. But I knew how to look to find a world that wasn't colorblind. Let's hope that you're a bit like me as you walk through my factory. For in the end, there's quite a prize if you can see. It's obscene So follow me And I guarantee That this world I've conceived And all I've achieved Must be believed To be seen Golden ticket winners That was the song It Must Be Believed to Be Seen from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the musical. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. We're about to announce the final Anth Award for the year. Let us know what you thought um, because I'd like to do it again next year. I think I would too, absolutely. I'd like to do it again next year. If if the uh, interest that we got in voting is anything to go by, um, I'd certainly think we'll be doing it again next year. But let us know what you thought. Was it lame? Was it fun? Let us know because yeah. it was fun. Quickly, I'm going to go to some honourable mentions before we get into the best musical category. Yes. So some honourable mentions uh, included all of the radio plays, uh, which were both mentioned in general and then uh, by by name as well. The Importance of Being Earnest and Twelfth Night both got uh, mentions. Uh, I was quite proud to see that being part of one of them. Uh, Dangerous Women as well, for some reason, got a whole heap, <laughs> yeah, whole heap of honourable mentions. I, I want to stress that to people as well. You don't need honourable mentions when you win two of them. Yeah. So, um, I mean, honourable mentions to them anyway. That just because inspired. Eva hasn't got enough, uh, yeah. hasn't we got just, enough accolades tonight. She's, she she's feeling sad that she couldn't get nominated for a third one, so we'll give her some honourable mentions instead. Yes, of course. Uh, 333's got uh, honourable mentions as well. That's fantastic. They're always great shows. Unfortunately, I missed half of them this year, which was 
rather upsetting. I'm always keen to go along to those. It's great to see our student directors putting stuff on. They generally tend to be really good. Favorite shorts, um, got a good mention. Thank you, I was involved in that. I wrote some, I directed some, I was in some. So that one was fun. Um, telling stories, I was there. That was fantastic. Joby Strike at Charlie's Last Stand in early March uh, did a revival of her show, Telling Stories. She was hilarious. It was a load of fun. Um, that was an excellent one. Uh, just there's a, there's an honorable mention that says Alex Evans is a bloody legend. Yeah, uh, we agree. And uh, plenty of honorable mentions for Eva Howitt as well uh, in person. So congratulations, Eva. You seem to have really taken Armadale Armadale by storm. Uh, everyone is very very impressed with what you put on there. Certainly. All right, well, we'll get into the fourth and final category, which was for Best Musical. Now, these are going to be very easy to talk about because they have such big casts and such so many people involved because they're such big productions. And the first nominee is ADMS's Singing in the Rain, their yeah. big uh, production for this year, directed by Warren Bartik with musical direction by Bruce Menzies and choreography by Lindy Hardman. It's the classic. Uh, you'll know it if you know the film, the, uh, the, the good old... Uh, Gene Kelly film from the 1950s, um, which has now become a stage musical. It's very bright, it's very vibrant, and ADMS's production was no exception, uh, featuring the wonderful talent of uh, Will Schmidt in the lead role, as well as Tiny Denton and Kyle Donnan. Uh, they all did a wonderful job. The whole cast was absolutely stellar. The costume design was wonderful. Singing in the Rain is very complex in that regard in terms of set and costumes and, and that sort of thing. So um, I was very interested to see how ADMS would do it and they certainly dis didn't uh, disappoint. You can check out their website as well if you'd like to see uh, some photos of that if you weren't uh, fortunate enough to go along because even just in photograph stills, you can just see just how uh, complex and how gorgeous this uh, production actually was. Uh, so Singing in the Rain, definitely a worthy nominee for Best Musical. Uh, and once again, we have to commend ADMS for the work they do, yeah, bringing, uh, bringing community theatre to Armadale. It's always wonderful to see uh, such a large amount of people getting involved and uh, enjoying themselves on stage and putting on something wonderful like Singing in the Rain was. Um, and what a wonderful show for them to put on. Of course, they're doing Mamma Mia next year, but that's a different topic entirely. We'll get on to the second nominee then, which is the Armadale School's Oliver. Um, <laughs> now, the Armadale School, they, of course, do a production uh, every year as well. It's uh, They have the wonderful benefit of having the Hoskins Center on their campus, so they have a wonderful facility right there for them to make use of. Um, there were 63 students between years 6 and 12 uh, involved in the show, which was directed by Andrew O'Connell, who we uh, mentioned earlier in the in the show he was part of um the batman uh revival which was uh nominated for best original production and musical direction by uh leanne rubel and warwick dunham choreograph choreography by joanne weissel um it was wonderful that i saw in particular their their stuff down in the mall they did uh preview shows down in the mall and right from the get-go um, you could see how invested these uh, these young guys were in their production, their in in this this musical, and it's wonderful to see. I was involved in a Taz musical a few years ago now, 
since I've left school. And um, they always do. They always put a lot of effort into that. It's always wonderful to see um, a school in in the community putting on something and putting a lot of effort into it. Um, absolutely. It was, and they are worthy nominees. Um, Oliver, absolute classic. Uh, the story of Oliver Twist from Charles Dickens. Mm. Uh, a wonderful show indeed. And the final one, another school uh, nominee, our third and final nominee, is PLC Armadale's production of Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical, which, interestingly, fun fact, Ben, did you know that the music and lyrics of Matilda were written by Tim Minchin? I did. Yes. I did. And I am, oh, I am a massive fan of Tim Minchin. I think he is a tremendous uh, lyricist, a tremendous songwriter, and a wonderful comedian. Obviously, his songs and his comedic routines, very satirical, very topical, and I have a great deal of respect for the man. Well, he did a wonderful job on Matilda as well, That's and sure. in this specific example, PLC Armadale received absolute uh, absolute lords for their uh, uh, their own production of Matilda, which was held here at the, at the university, actually. Yes. Um, did a wonderful job with a, a musical that's actually, I was quite surprised to find out, um, the rights are actually only pretty freshly available. Yeah, um, it's, bizarrely. It's, uh, it's quite new. And um, what a wonderful show it is. It's, it's a load of fun. Um, and PLC, I, I'm always blown away by what they manage to achieve with what they've got. Being an all-girls school, that's, um, mm. that can be a little bit of an inhibitor sometimes, but they do manage to get a, uh, uh, some of the boys from Taz and from um, the, the, the I'm, what are they calling, Armadale Secondary College, that's what it's called. I went back in the Armadale High and Duval days, I keep <laughs> forgetting the name of it. Understandably but, um, so. Yeah, they get the, some boys from Armadale Secondary College and um, the other, the other um, co-ed or boys schools from around town. And um, they always pull that together into a wonderful show. But I think Matilda was a real standout in terms of what PLC has managed to do over the last few years. So a real commendation to um, the staff behind that, the students who were involved and just the whole team that managed to pull that together because um, PLC Armadale put on a real show. Um, yeah, it was it was it was absolutely marvelous. We need to, yeah, and obviously, I mean, I'm a fan of musicals, obviously, I, and plays as well. But I do I do enjoy musicals, and I know that in a certain to to a certain extent, it can be a lot. I'm not going to say harder because I feel like that's a bit insulting to plays, but I feel like there are a lot of a lot of extra challenges that come with producing and performing in a musical rather than a play so i always i always have a lot of respect for musicals that are put on i know there's a lot of work that goes into them and all three nominees from ADMS, uh, Taz and PLC should be commended on their nominees for the uh, inaugural Best Musical Anthology Award. This is very exciting for me as well because my roots in theatre come from musical theatre so I still have a very, very soft spot for musical theatre. I do love it and I've been involved in uh, a few of these music ADMS musicals and Taz musicals in the past. Um, I really, really do admire the work they put on. Hmm. So um, now... The winner. Do we have another close vote or another blowout? We have a an even closer vote. Oh goodness me! This time, before preferential votes are taken into account, we have a difference of one vote. Oh. And now, what's very interesting is that the uh, the nominee that has taken it out in quotation marks, as in had the most votes but didn't have a majority by one, dis- didn't win didn't win overall because when we took out the third placed uh 
candidate, the uh, the 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 musical that ha- initially had one less vote has won on preferential votes. Goodness gracious me! So what was so it was less obviously less than fifty percent in first round, and the one that was trailing by one vote but not enough to snare a majority took it on preferences that is it's very exciting it was very very close it has literally in this case someone has come from behind to snatch this thanks to the preferences reminiscence of sydney snatching the 2000 olympics yeah it's an absolute this is a, a last minute grab um, smash and grab, I believe they call it. I was going to say, so everyone involved from ADMS, TAS and PLC, get excited because this is a close one. This is it's a close one. It's very close. You should see the little bar graph that I've got here. It's, they're, they're just, you can't separate them, not even with a magnifying glass. It's insanely close. I know which one I voted for, so now I'm excited and I'm hopeful. All right. Well, why don't you open up that envelope we and we'll go. bring this old show to an end. The very last Nth Award for this year and the winner is... Oh, my days. Matilda is the winner. Matilda Ma- is the winner. Matilda takes it out. Votes. Matilda um, takes it out. I am so pleased. I am very, very happy to, to read that one out. Matilda made an absolute absolutely amazing impression when it was up here of second place i will say normally i don't like to say because it makes it clear who did finish third which is always disappointing but being nominated is part of the is is an absolute accolade as well singing in the rain was very close behind and in fact was um initially on prince on primary vote was the winner Mm. uh, by one vote but the preferences of uh, those who voted one for oliver uh made it a last minute swing to Matilda. So oh, that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. That is the way the cookie crumbles. So congratulations to Matilda. I as I will say it again, PLC Armadale. Oh goodness me. My goodness, they've uh, they've really pulled something special together with Matilda. So congratulations to all of the students who were involved there, both from PLC and then the uh, the male students who came and got involved from other schools as well. You guys all did a spectacular job. Congratulations as well to uh, Singing in the Rain. As we've said, it was immensely close, so you guys should be very, very proud of what you managed to pull together. And, of course, Oliver as well. Uh, I did see Oliver, and it was very, very, very good. Yeah. Um, I was I was completely blown away by the quality of, of all three of these musicals. And um, all three very, very worthy nominees. In fact, it was one of the easiest categories to pick because I'd seen three wonderful musicals. Um, that were all worthy of recognition. So congratulations to all of them. But the winner is PLC Armadale's Matilda. Congratulations. Uh, so to recap, our very first winners of Anth Awards, Eva Howitt has just cleaned up the night. Yes, um, she's taken two. home two from two nominations after picking up Most Creative Original Production and Best UNE Production. Uh, Inheritance, ADMS, uh, directed by Jean Freer has pulled off a close-in to win Best Play, and in one of the closest preferential votes I've mm. ever witnessed, um, Matilda has taken out Best Musical. Massive congratulations to all four. It's been a rather special night. I thoroughly enjoyed this little award show. If you'd like to see it again next year, give us a bit of feedback. Let us know you enjoyed it. I certainly have, and it was great to recognize and give a little bit of a... Um, give a little bit of commendation to some of the best productions that we've seen this year. So to all uh, 12 nominate, well, to all nominate, I can't say 12 because some doubled up, obviously. Uh, massive congratulations to you all. Please be very proud of yourselves, to everyone that was involved, to our four winners as well. Tremendous work. Uh, you should be exceptionally proud of yourselves for what you've achieved. 
and we thoroughly look forward to seeing what 2020 has for Armadale Theatre. And congratulations and thank you to anyone who put on theatre that uh, either got an honourable mention or yes, was not absolutely. mentioned tonight. We really appreciate all that you do. Um, it's very, very hard to narrow uh, this kind of thing down to three nominees in four categories and then picking a winner. That's why I, let, uh, that's why I put it out of my own hands and let yeah, it go let down to the vote. people's vote because it's, it's so difficult to separate these things. All of the nominees were absolutely superb and there were plenty that unfortunately did not get nominated that I thought were superb as well. So you should all be very proud of your efforts. 2019 was a great year for Armadale Theatre um, and this is just a small way that we can try and recognise that. We're looking forward to 2020, of course. There's plenty of great things going on and we'll be talking about that and trying to hype that up in future episodes of Anthology. But for now, Ben, it's been a pleasure. As always, yes. And we'll be back next week with our New Year's special. Uh, where we're going to be counting down our top 20 films of the decade. Ben and I have uh, collaborated on a, uh, yes, a list. Yes, I'm excited. I can't wait to present that. That's going to be a lot of fun. We've, uh, we, we spent a lot of time deliberating over it. There was a lot of head scratching and a lot of um, really painful omissions and really close inclusions that we had to make, but we've narrowed down a top 20 and we're going to spend the night having a bit of fun going through our top 20 films of the 2010s. I will say I am thoroughly, thoroughly pleased that we did top 20 and not top 10 because that would have been tough. It would have been impossible. I actually don't know what was harder, narrowing it down from a short list, or first of all compiling a short list of 50 to choosing the best 20, or then trying to determine what order those 20 should be in. It well, was yeah. a marathon for, effort. For context, I went through and just um, picked everything from like the Oscar winners to just films that were really big cultural influence and we ended up with a short list of 50 films which we had to narrow down to 20 and then put into an order would so have taken we were, us at least two hours wouldn't it That's oh it was a solid it was a solid haul it was it was very difficult particularly um when we got down to having about five or six spots left in the 20 oh, and having about we had eight or nine that we had to we really yeah. had to we had, oh. a, we had about 10 films we had to fit into about three or four spots. That was and tricky. And it was, it was very tricky to kind of cut out. So we're looking forward to uh, sharing with you what we've got. And I will say, just to hype it up even further, I am very satisfied by the, our, the order of our top 20. I think um, it's a very good list. And I think it um, certainly reflects uh, the best of the best that film had to offer in, 2020, in the 2010s. And I personally think that our number one film is something special so tune in next week for goodness sake make sure not to miss it because it will be a very good episode well you're listening to 106.9 tune fm pleasure to be with you as always here in the wonderful city of armadale stay tuned for a song armadale new south wales what a good city oh yeah armadale good location nice nice place New England Highway Go to Armadale Visit that wonderful city It's so nice It's very great It's a little city called Armadale Yes, Armadale Sometimes they get A whole lot of hail Hail falling from the sky in Armadale oh, Armadale is a good city It's got a whole lot of good people It's got churches and other stuff 
has got a good shopping area Little place called the Armadale Mall You go there and you buy whatever you want to buy Yes, that's right, I'm talking about Armadale Yes, I'm right, that's talking about Armadale Armadale is a wonderful city I like it very much Because it's a good place to be It's so nice and wonderful It's Armadale Hop on that New England highway Get off when you reach Armadale Take a look around Enjoy yourself Yeah